podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Three, two. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Metz. Today, we have a lot to go over. Kansas had uh, quite the week last week, uh, both men and women uh, on basketball side, but had a lot of drama over the weekend as well as Lance Leipold was reportedly um, the candidate for the Washington job before uh, Jed Fish was able to, w- w- actually signed with Washington. Um, tons of stuff to talk about. As usual, Kyle Davis, my deputy editor over Blue Wings Rising, is here to join me. Kyle, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm I'm cold, but you know it was a it was a pretty good weekend for for Kansas athletics. I mean, you got a sweep in Allen Fieldhouse. You got to retain your football coach after some panic moments on Sunday. It ended up it ended up working out well. Yeah, I was to say, I'm sure you're doing a whole lot better now that Kansas you know doesn't have to worry about losing Lance Leipold. And look, I, I wrote an article over on Blue Wings Rising, kind of what it means because. You know, from what I was hearing and from what has been, you know, kind of backed up with reporting from a bunch of different people, um, including Jason Shear, you know, the the guy that that covers uh, Arizona, that this really like we 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 really really like him because of all of his stuff during the whole realignment, uh, you know, situation. But um, you know, looking at that, Lance Leipold was the candidate, like he was the guy that Washington targeted starting up front, um, and from what I've heard and I've I actually talked about this in the article is that Lance Leipold you know he basically said that uh well no thanks like they offered him the job apparently he was in contact with Kansas for for quite a bit of that kind of I I almost want to say it was an unusual just how aware of what the details were and everything going on that uh that Travis Goff and, and some of the other uh, people in the Kansas administration were like there was definitely some concern at first when they first started reaching out because of course Washington going to the Big Ten can offer a ton of resources, um, but it became pretty clear and you know Mike Vernon and, and Bryson Stricker over on uh, over on Twitter were kind of reemphasizing this, but as it got further and further down the line, Kansas was more and more confident that they were keeping Lance Leipold. Um, it's a little weird, right, having the biggest one of the biggest candidates nationwide. Um, as your head football coach, if you're a Kansas fan, because it's not something that we're used to. It's one of those, yeah, you, like you know that you're doing something right when like a team who is just in the national title game comes calling. Like that's, yeah, that's, um, so yes, I think this could be, um, I think this is probably, while it was a stressful few hours on Sunday, this is probably the best case scenario for Kansas and that like, Hey, they have a program on the rise with a coach that everyone is, his name gets popped up all over the place, whether seriously or not, like this one was serious. You know, there's basically, it seems like every single list of, and there's a job opening, every single list has, you know, Lance Leipold on there. Same thing with um, uh, a couple of like Matt Campbell seems to always be on there as well. But this one was, was legitimate. And um, yeah. Can you imagine saying that, let alone, uh, uh, you know, two or three years ago that that the Kansas coach would turn down uh, Washington. But when you look at it with that on just like its face value, the context of the situation, like it's it makes sense why he stayed. Washington is, one, losing uh, its quarterback, its starting running back, its two top receivers, members of its offensive line. Like this seems like a TCU-type uh, situation where you are – 
uh, you are in the national title game. Everyone goes to the draft at the max, mass exodus. And then the next year you are not nearly the same team and you're struggling to make a bowl game. Uh, if you look at Washington's schedule, not only they're going to the big 10, uh, but I don't know if you've seen their schedule yet. Uh, just a couple of them running down Washington state in the non-con and you go Northwestern, who's a bowl team, Rutgers, who was a bowl team, Michigan, obviously there are any national champions, uh, Iowa, who, uh, you know, can't play out, can't throw the ball more than two yards down the field, but they play great defense. You, then you end the year, uh, with USC at Penn State, UCLA at Oregon. That is brutal. Like if you have everyone back, it's a brutal schedule. And so this very well might be a Washington team that maybe like goes six and six here or is somewhere around that. That wouldn't be shocking. Uh, and now you look on the flip side, you have a Kansas Jayhawks team who's bringing back eight of 11 starters on offense from one of the most dynamic ones. You have Texas and Oklahoma leaving the big 12. You have Arizona coming in, but now a double whammy for Kansas and benefits like their coach just took the Washington job. So now Arizona is on the rise, but now without a coach, um, like Kansas has a realistic shot. The, the schedule is favorable when you look at it. And from, from a big 12 standpoint of who they get, they miss Utah during the regular season. Um, like there, things are high with Kansas right now. And so if you look at it purely from just a like job situation standpoint, unless you, you know, the Pacific Northwest is not exactly a recruiting hotbed either. Not to say Lawrence, Kansas is, but you're a little more centralized. You're closer to Texas. You've got some of those other things there. So unless you just want to go live in Seattle and, and coach football, which listen, Hey, I, if you're going to pay me $7 million a year to go live in Seattle and coach football, like, sure, that sounds great. It's not, I'm not trying to knock it. I'm just saying that it's, it's almost ridiculous to say that like when you just look at the pure on paper comparisons of these two jobs heading into next year, Kansas job makes a lot of sense of why you would stay. And that's just something that like, it was almost impossible to fathom 18 months ago, three years ago, eight years ago, whatever, like how much you want to go in. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's, um, it's a great day. And I know we're going to get into this more. I don't, I don't want to just ramble the whole time, but like, I think the athletic department deserves a lot of credit for this because even if you would have taken the job, you could not have said, well, okay, you should have done more. Like Kansas has done everything I mean, it has I mean, to yeah, put football on the map. You know? They, they knocked down half the stadium for him. Like, <laughs> Like, right. I mean, the, really what it comes down to is Lance Leipold is a program builder, right? And and I think it's fair to say he has not finished building the Kansas program to where he wants to. Um, I, I also think that, like, you know, when he was at Buffalo, um, I don't think he got Buffalo back to where he wanted him to be, but he definitely put them in a much better situation than they were when he arrived. And so, you know, I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't blame him if he decided he wanted to go to Washington and build the program there. But if you're talking about it, like, Washington has a bigger – cachet name right now nationally especially since they just went you know and were the national runners up but i don't know that the program foundationally is significantly different from where kansas is right now right like if you go back to when leipold came to kansas there's there's some big stark differences i i, I saw some people drawing parallels it's like oh he he'd go to washington on a big stage with big 10 money and do the same sort of thing with a same sort of situation as as when he took over kansas i don't think it's the same situation at all right like when you came to Kansas, Lance Leipold had the opportunity and the ability, one, to retain a bunch of staff that would allow him to keep a lot of the players that he had. They had players that had tons of eligibility left that they could keep and they could sell on the consistency that he was going to bring. You can't do that at Washington. Washington is losing so many guys through the draft. Like, like there's, there's nothing you can do. There's not any consistency from one year to the next. 
Um, he does not have a huge stable of talent that he can build on and he can mold and turn into guys that can be competitive nationally. Um, I think here at Kansas, he's finally taken those guys and turned them into guys that can that can compete nationally with a bunch of other guys. I mean, we saw that with, you know, Kobe Bryant and, uh, and, and Melo Dotson, you know, grading out better in, on pro football focus than every other major cornerback that was, you know, potentially going in the NFL draft this year. So, and he's um, crushing it in the in the recruiting, right. both in the transfer, getting guys like I, kids kids from Iowa State who were playing really well want to come to Kansas now, which you know would have been the opposite probably five years ago. Right, right. So I mean, he definitely still has plenty of room here. I I, I think it would be different if you know Kansas was coming off of a Big Twelve title and you know like a bunch of stuff where Kansas had had gotten to a point where you feel good that Travis Goff could hire someone that could continue to build it. But Travis Goff doesn't, or um, Lance Leipold doesn't strike me as a guy who likes to leave a job half complete to go on to a, a better job. I do think that there is an opportunity he potentially could leave. And and look, if 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 Harbaugh goes to you know the NFL and Michigan says we'll pay you twelve million a year to come up to Michigan, I I think it's a, a conversation. I don't know if he would actually take it just because of all the pressure that happens with Michigan. But like that's the kind of job that's like a destination job, right? Like Michigan. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia now, um, you know, Texas. I think those are kind of the jobs that if you are an ambitious head football coach, which I don't know that Lance Leipold has the same kind of ambition as some of the guys that would take those jobs. but um, Maybe especially at his age now, like right. his stage in his career too. You but know, I, if he was but 40 I think what I'm trying to say, then, like, yeah. right, like what I'm trying to say though is if Michigan were to open up tomorrow and Lance Leipold was the number one, you know, target for that, I wouldn't blame him for leaving. I don't know that he necessarily would, though. And the fact that that's even a conversation, the fact that, you know, you have, you can get those kind of job offers and not immediately jump at them tells you, one, how far Kansas has come, and two, how high the expectations are for Lance Leipold himself of what he can still do with this team. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to see what they're able to do. The fact that they held on to him, you know, there's another extension raise coming from what I've heard. There's a ton of stuff kind of going on behind the scenes. Kansas, as you said, has put a huge commitment into football. Um, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, I find it funny now that Kansas and Kansas State probably have two of the top, you know, five candidates for pretty much every job nationally um, for quite a long time now. So we'll see how long Kleiman and uh, Leipold stick around. I think that Leipold has a better chance of sticking around a lot longer than Kleiman just because Kleiman's so much younger and has an opportunity, I think, to go to some of those other jobs long term that, that, you know, are really, really hard to turn down. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, like you mentioned, Mike Vernon's been all over this for a while and others have talked about it. The the Bill Self new contract and raise kind of opened the door to it was right. the worst kept secret around Lawrence. It's like, OK, we know we probably can't play our football coach as much as our basketball coach, but we're going to bump him up and then we're going to get Lance where he needs to be. And, you know, it's interesting, like the Jed Fish is getting a little under eight million a year <clears throat> for the Washington job. So I don't know. You know, I think it's at uh, seven point seven five a year is what it came out to. I would imagine. I, I'm curious to see. You know, I'm, I imagine they probably offered Lance about the same. I mean, Leipold's I could, I could, contract right now is five point two five million a year. Like he's already right, and making I could quite see, a bit. <laughs> and I and I could see with this restructured deal and like you know, like, like football is the money maker. Like that's where your revenue comes from. Like and and then the last two years, it's not like you know. I, I'm not trying to say Kansas football is now Ohio State in terms of revenue or Texas, but like when you think about even just going from you know ten thousand people in the stands to selling out you know six of of eight games like there's a lot of extra revenue i could see 
Goff and them easily getting him to seven and a half, eight million there and matching that. And when you talk about you could be the one to, I would imagine he would probably want to see this brand new stadium get open and be the one on the sidelines there to see the kind of the, <laughs> the finish of that. And like, um, you know, it's one of those things where he could be, he already is kind of like a legend around here in terms of what he's been able to do and being able to see that out, like he could be the guy. And that's an interesting thing in a couple points, because one, like, again, Washington, if you look at in their new, in, in their position in the new big 10, like they are, they are a relevant brand, but they're not top four. I mean, you put, you put Ohio state, Michigan, USC and Oregon way above them, right. As a football brand. Um, so you're always in Penn state is probably in there in that running too. So you're, and then you have, you, you know, <clears throat> UCLA, like you're fighting for relevance there as like one of the top brands there. And I think it's interesting. And, and this is where I give all of the credit to the Kansas athletics uh, group and Travis Goff and even the fans is that the one thing that I saw of like, Hey, here's why he would maybe go is because like, if he, you know, wanted to go to a quote unquote football school and not be second fiddle to Kansas or to basketball. But I do think there is a difference <clears throat> between the schools that are in, that are all in on football and basketball is an afterthought. And you, and you see it in terms of like the facilities and everything else, or same thing with, you know, like basketball being number one and football being kind of an afterthought in terms of facilities and NIL and, and the amount they're going to pay their coaches and all that kind of stuff. Like that hasn't been Kansas. Now, obviously basketball is always going to be number one, but when you talk about the investments from the stadium, his contract, his, his assistance, NIL fan support that, that we've gotten from, selling out on the bowl games and, and selling out the stadium. Like it's, yes, it's not going to be, it's never going to surpass basketball. And I think he knows that, but it's also not like an irrelevant thing that people don't, it's not like people don't care if you lose in, in October because um, basketball is a month away. Like that happens at some school and that's a real thing. And there are certain I mean, situations it used where to happen here. <laughs> so <laughs> it used to happen here when you were bad, but I'm saying even like if you're, if you're a competent team, like it, you know, like if you, there's like now Michigan's a disaster in basketball right now. But even when they're like competent, like you can see Hunter Dickinson, he came there because basically they, there was no NIL. They like there was no like he was kind of a, a second class figure. And there, whereas you look at like Jalen Daniels, he is a star here. And I think there's there's just there's a lot of nuance here. And I think that's one of the things that I give the administration and athletics as a whole and the fans a lot of credit for is that. Football is not a second-class citizen here. Now, basketball is never probably going to be top because of the history, tradition. You have the inventor of the game as your first head coach. Rules of basketball literally live in Lawrence. But I think Leipold has, you know, they've done everything they can, and they've really shown that, like, this is not a – you're not going to be overshadowed here, and you can carve out your own, and, and there's there's room for both. And I think they're going to show that in the contracts, that there's room for both him and Bill to be among the highest-paid coaches. Um, obviously, the stadium, the facilities, the locker room, NIL, like – Kansas has hit it out of the park and made it so that, you know, there's a lot of reasons you pointed out why Lance would want to stay, but I think Kansas also made it like they could have messed a lot of this up and made it easy for him to leave. Oh yeah. They, they basically did everything they needed to, to make this a really hard decision and, and make it some really valid points on why he should stay. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, you know, bad eighties, like we've talked about it multiple times here. Lou Perkins, for all the good things that he did, he made just as many, I think, mistakes um, in terms of the way that he interacted with his coaches, and he made it difficult for a lot of them to stay um, the way that they, you know, probably should have felt like they could have. And so, 
you know, and then Shane Zinger was great with coaches, but unfortunately, you know, some of the other stuff wasn't wasn't so great. I, I think we finally have a competent AD who is able to do his job and do it well enough that people want to stick around. But I, I think to your point, like back when I was on campus, you know, in the middle to late 2000s, um, Ohio State was absolutely huge in both basketball and football. And so one of the big questions, and, and th- this was also like when Florida was really good at basketball and football with, with Billy Donovan and um, – like the the question was, can you be a two sport school, right? Can you have both a good football and a good basketball team? And I think what we found was, sure, the basketball teams were good for a little while, but football was still king on all of those campuses. And so I think football is able to bring in enough revenue, and if you can get the football program set up, it can run itself to the you know to the point where you can have a good enough program that they can be competitive and be up towards the top of football. Basketball is not the same way. You have to have a basketball mindset, I think, to keep basketball up because one player can have such a huge difference, right, on on how good your your roster is. Um, and so it's a lot harder once you've built that momentum. It's a lot easier to lose it in basketball than it is in football. Um, now, granted, Kansas had a long way to go and has a long way to go still, I think, to get themselves football-wise where they need to be. But, um, you know, back when Mangino was here, like football – looked like it was in a really good spot, you know, going to the Orange Bowl, and it looked like everything was going great. Um, but, you know, basketball, well, I, mean, I think really what it comes down to is if there is a school that can long-term be really good at football and really good at basketball, it's going to have to be a, a place like Kansas, where basketball is the main focus. You make sure that that is, you know, that is taken care of, but you still have plenty of support for football. There's tons of football fans that really want this Kansas football team to do well. I mean, you know, friend of the friend of the podcast, you know, former when I was over at Rock Chalk Talk, Mike Plank, you know, he is probably the biggest football fan that I have ever met. Um, and there's tons of those guys like Bryson Stricker is, you know, he's a football insider. As he said several times, he doesn't care about basketball pretty much at all. He's a football guy. There's plenty of those football guys that are really excited about what's happening here in Lawrence. And I'm I'm excited for them. I love football as well. I also you know, I think basketball is probably my favorite sport, but I love football enough that I am very happy to see this. And I do think it's going to be absolutely huge for the university going forward. Um, but I think to your point, like you look at, you know, the amount of revenue that the different schools brought in and obviously teams like Baylor and TCU that are private schools don't necessarily have to report this the same way. But from everything I could tell, it was, you know, you talk about the top earning programs in the last like five years, right? It's Texas, Oklahoma, and then Kansas in the Big 12. And that's with an awful football team. Imagine what that's going to be like when the football team is clicking under Leipold. Um, you know, Kansas is looking to be the big dog in terms of money spent or money, you know, I guess brought in in the Big 12, which is going to help them compete in the conference in both sports. So I'm looking forward to what we can do here. I, you know, I think it helps that Bill Self, like a lot of props need to go to Bill Self because you know, we saw what happened down in Kentucky, right? When when Kentucky football team started getting good and they started talking about stuff, John Calipari's, you know, comments were, you know, this is always going to be a basketball school, which kind of caused a little bit of animosity between the two teams, between the two coaches. Um, Bill Self's not like that. He did make the joke, right, uh, you know, on, on uh, college game day last year, how, like, Kansas is always going to be a basketball school and a football school moving forward, or, you know, to that effect, like, He's more than willing to poke fun at it. He's more willing to t- more than willing to talk about it. There is definitely an acknowledgement from everybody involved that basketball, like you said, is always going to be king at Kansas just because of their place in the history of college basketball. 
But there's plenty of room at the top, especially with Bill Self running the show. There's plenty of room for football to come and join them as a huge contributor, bringing in a ton more money and making it a whole lot easier for this entire athletic department to be successful. All right. Any, any final thoughts about Leipold, coaching, football, all that fun stuff? No, I think I think that, um, you know, the, the future's bright. And while it was a bit of a scare, um, I also think that the amount of buzz and the panic um, that you saw from from at least the online faction of Kansas fans, like also shows the commitment like this was not a oh, well, like kind of thing. This was a, you know, there's there's a lot of passion here for Kansas football, which I think uh, reanimated. And if you want to, um, you want to have a little just entertainment, like take five minutes. And if you saw like, so basically Leipold squashed the rumors um, for good with a tweet that went out right about, or I guess an X post, I don't know, whatever a it tweet. is now. It's um, always a tweet. It's a tweet, yeah. Basically saying, you know, the guys come back on campus tomorrow. Can't wait to get back to work with them in, in 24, rock chalk. Um, go go, just read some of the replies on there. There's, um, it, It's pretty it, – it's a good way to spend five minutes and just kind of have a laugh. So, yes, I think – I do uh, find it uh, hilarious how many K-State fans wanted to crow about the fact that Leipold might have been leaving when a lot of rumors were flying about Climate also leaving and they were just as in, – in just as much disbelief about them – you know, about climbing leaving as Kansas fans were about Leipold leaving. Actually, I would say Kansas fans probably were a little bit more worried about Leipold leaving because Kansas fans are not used to having nice things in football that last, you know, they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, and thankfully I think we're, we're, we're coming out of that, but um, yeah, I was not expecting to spend, you know, the first 20 minutes of the podcast talking about football, but Hey, we did it. Uh, I, that was huge news. I'm so glad that we get to keep Leipold. There's tons of basketball stuff. Um, to talk about though, much like the tons of basketball stuff that just dropped over at sponsor here on the podcast, the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage clothing company based right here in Kansas City. They want you to be one of the best dressed fans this season. They have tons of vintage collegiate gear for more than 30 different schools. They're continuing to add stuff all the time, but they've got all the greats in the Big 12. They've got a ton of stuff. They just dropped a whole brand new line of shirts and hoodies and other great stuff. Um, for all the teams in the Big 12, including Kansas. My absolute favorite shirt on the site right now is not an NIL shirt. It's not any of that. It's the brand new Kansas one that just dropped. It's a retro video game style one that says Level Up. Uh, it's a Kansas basketball specific shirt. It is fantastic. I highly recommend you guys head over there and grab it if you have not already. If you have the ability to do it, you will not be disappointed. They have some really fantastic new hoodies as well for every team in the conference. Um, but the Kansas one is absolutely fire as well. So uh, man, I, I sound like one of my teenagers saying that. But um, look, this is great stuff. I highly recommend you guys go over there and get it. Use promo code ten twelve fifteen. That's T E N one two one five. You can get fifteen percent off of all non sale items. That does include all of the new stuff that just dropped. I don't believe any of it's on sale right now, as of the last time that I looked. So you can use that to go ahead and get that discount on all of that great new gear. And that is a whenever you want type of promo code. There's not a first time buyer or, you know, one time only or anything like that. Go and use that to get a bunch of gear for a whole bunch of different people. Uh, you will not regret it. Again, charliehustle.com, promo code 101215. Get 15% off of all non-sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right. Um, I do want to talk about the women. Um, actually, let's let's go ahead and do that here before the break. Uh, cause that won't be quite as long of a conversation that we can jump into the men, but, um, look, the women had probably about as good of a week as you could hope for 
after the 0-3 start to Big 12 Conference play. They had a huge upset. Tiana Jackson got to 1,000 points on her career. Uh, in that game, you had uh, you know Holly Kirschgeter, you had Smaya Nichols. You had a ton of different players go off against Baylor. Kansas beating Baylor by 21 points on Wednesday. The first Big 12 loss for Baylor uh, of the year. The first time that Kansas has beaten Baylor in like 16 attempts, I believe it was. Um, you know, just all kinds of great stuff for the Jayhawks. Finally, finally beating Baylor. Finally getting over the hump. And finally putting together the type of performance that we were expecting to see from this team all along. Yeah, like it's not... It, it, it was obviously certainly an upset, <clears throat> and even the Oklahoma State game was a, was a good kind of validation of like we we've been expecting this from this team. Like even earlier in the season when they dropped those really close games, like Virginia Tech and UConn, and <clears throat> some of those other stumbles, it's like man, we know this team has the talent. They just haven't been able to put it together as well. And like it was great to see four starters in double figures in both of those games, and they were actually you know a different combination of them. Uh, it was great to see Tyana Jackson just have one of her monster just dominant games against Baylor and Samaya Nichols has been fantastic you know 39 points in the week uh like she is now I think the league scorer on the team she's really coming into her own it's nice to see um yeah that that was those were two performances that like it feels like we've been just waiting all year to see from this group because we knew it was possible it wasn't one of those things where it completely came out of the blue now maybe maybe beating Baylor by as much as they did uh, at home was surprising just because Baylor, you know, you don't typically upsets over top five teams are one thing, you know, a complete smackdown of 20 points is another thing, but um, we've, we've known that this group has had it in them the whole time. And it's nice that it really feels like it's, it's coming together and there's a lot of conference play uh, left too, which is what the good thing is. Like you can see, like if they can just, now the question is, can you maintain this and can you hold on to this kind of production and, and play that we knew they were capable of? Now they're showing signs. Now the question is, because again, it's been consistency all year. What What's the next week look like? Can you replicate this to a degree and not have that stumble that we've seen earlier in the year? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, it's weird too, though, because I would almost argue that the Oklahoma State win was probably the bigger win of the two. Um, yes, it was absolutely fantastic to be able to just completely demolish Baylor. Um, but what we've seen from this team, right, they've been very competitive against really top-tier teams. They were competitive against UConn, against Virginia Tech down in the Cayman Islands. They were competitive against Penn State on the road, who is a much better team than I think a lot of people thought coming into the year. You know, they were competitive against uh, Texas A&M as well. Like, they have been in there. The question is, can they, in an instance where they have to fight back, right? Because I think the the biggest thing between all those games is that Kansas getting down, you know, early in those games, kind of having a, a decent game but not quite enough and, and, you know, getting behind late and not being able to catch all the way back up. We saw that against Oklahoma State as well, and it felt like it was trending in that same direction, right? Like they were going to make a big push. They were going to do a lot of the things they needed to. They were going to get close, but was it going to be just enough? And they had a huge – it was like a 16-2 to two run or something like that um, that, that spanned, uh, you know, the end of the third quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter – um, which allowed them to kind of take the lead and take control of the game, something that we hadn't really seen from them. And, and I do think that, uh, you know, it's also, I think, beneficial to, to see, you know, Tiana Jackson out, and they were able to somewhat hold their own against Oklahoma State. Um, but I think those are kind of the biggest issues, right, left, is like, can Kansas break momentum from other teams? Um, 
you know, especially when they're actually shooting okay from three-point range. Oklahoma State didn't shoot well the entire game, but they definitely shot well for, for a good portion of the games, and Kansas was able to stay close. Um, and can they kind of get that extra push that they need? And they did that against Oklahoma State. So I'm excited to see what this team's moving forward. They have some really, uh, like, we will get to know right away if this is something that they're going to be able to sustain because they go on the road on Tuesday to Texas, um, and then they go on the road to Kansas State this weekend. So two gigantic games for them coming up on the road. If they can get one of those, I think I feel really good about what they have moving forward uh, and the ability. But then they also turn around and host Iowa State next week uh, in the middle of the week. So lots of difficult games, um, but this is the Big 12. Like This is the Big 12 Women's Conference that is just as difficult, I think, from top to bottom as the men's side, um, with maybe just a few exceptions. I think some of the new teams are struggling women's wise, but I think for the most part, though, this is a this is just as strong a conference as it's ever been, and I think that uh, there's plenty of opportunities for Kansas to show what they're able to do. There's still a chance for Kansas to actually have the kind of season that they were expecting to have. It just seems like they took a detour. All right, anything else about the women? No, I think, uh, it, you know, the... I was, it was good to see some of those, um, you know, some of the milestones being hit. And, yeah, I, I think you could still make an argument that, like the men, you would like a little bit more from the bench. Uh, the, the women haven't been exactly deep necessarily. But right now it's, it's you know, that that starting five has been good enough to, yeah, to been, hang with anybody. There's been decent injuries. Um, you know, you have, like, Paris Gaines, I believe, is out with an injury of some sort. It's a, I don't really have a lot of details about it but you know she she had been coming in and providing some extra depth in the in the you know down low in the post you have deny Papadopoulou um who plays fairly well when she comes in though they go from looking from you know for a lot of scoring down low from Tyana Jackson to just like rebounding controlling the ball trying to make sure that they can play good defense um and get those kind of contributions that way which is good like they that they can do that but you do lose a very significant offensive dynamic for the team when Papadopoulou's in there just because you know Jackson is that good of a player and that good offensively so um you know there's still definitely some some work to be done to try to make sure that they can avoid that big of a drop off but um you know there's not a whole lot you can do when you just don't have another another big player that can play you know most of the way the same way that Jackson can so you have a lot of players that I think have a lot of energy that can do a lot of different things. And I'm, I'm excited to kind of see some more from like Leia Canessa. Um, some of the other, you know, freshmen that are coming in that are um, starting to get some more minutes, getting more comfortable in what they're doing. So we'll have to see how they get to contribute, but uh, really looking forward to the rest of the season for this, for this women's team uh, was happy to be in the field house for that particular game. But uh, we are going to go ahead and jump over to the men here. Uh, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. We're back. I am here with Kyle Davis, my deputy editor over Blue Wings Rising. We, are, of course, are talking about the fantastic weekend for the Jayhawks. But I don't think we can start talking about the men without talking about what that, you know, I think the best way to describe it is the debacle against UCF, um, you know, on Wednesday. I, I have two main takeaways, I think, from here. One Kansas does not have the ability to dial back on their energy and still expect to be able to beat anybody in this league. Um, and two, I think the UCF defense is a whole lot better than people gave them credit for. They were ranked, you know, 25th in Ken Palm coming into the game. Um, I think a lot of people, myself included. Up to 17th now. Yeah, I was to say, I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of thought maybe they built that up 
based off of the, you know, not great offenses that they played in the non-conference. Uh, it turns out, no, that that's definitely legitimate because they did a very similar thing to BYU, who is a really good offensive team as well. Um, UCF is a team that, while I don't think they're going to be in the top half of the conference before the end of the year because of their, you know, offensive issues, they have a defense that in, in any particular night is going to make it very difficult, especially when you have to go down to Orlando. So, um, you know, Kansas is going to uh, going to have to wear that one for a little while. Um, but I think, I mean, anything else that, that you take away from that UCF game? I mean, yeah, road, road games in the Big 12 are just brutal. I mean, you even look at, like, Oklahoma State is 0-3, and yet in the first game of the conference play, they took Baylor to overtime at home. Like, <clears throat> you know, that's a 3-0 team versus an 0-3 team that yeah, that very easily could have gone another way. Um, I think, you know, if you're wanting to look at silver linings, and, and you're right, so two things. One, UCF, again, we there is now becoming a very um, – specific kind of style that is giving Kansas fits. It's the Achilles heel. It's the very aggressive speed you up creating steals type of defense where then on offense, they are very aggressive at just pounding to the basket and drawing fouls and trying to get high percentage shots. Marquette, TCU, UCF, like you've seen it. That's what it is. TCU or UCF is also excellent at blocking shots. Like that's one of the, Again, I think that is probably, you know, one of the better defenses in terms of that type of style hurts Kansas. The other thing is, is that um, if you want to go silver lining, like that was the wake-up call that might have been needed because Kansas had been getting away with some of this um, lackadaisicalness maybe. Like we talked about it in, in the TCU game. We talked about it in some other like that would just like the awareness was down, the kind of getting beat to 50 50 balls the just the the you know the the poor passing the lack of execution on offense like that i think might have been the wake of call that they needed because again you know they this is a very common thing bill self has said a lot of times it's kind of hard to get through to your guys that they're not playing well when they keep winning and you know it's, it's one thing when that happens it's another thing when you go and get uh, court stormed on the road against a team that, you know, is unranked. And so I think that was one of those that obviously we saw some change with, with Johnny Furphy entering the starting lineup. And I think we'll get to that probably with the Oklahoma game, but also, you know, Hunter Dickinson played his worst game. You could tell he, but not only was he in foul trouble, but the knee that came out afterwards that he banged knees in the TCU game was not a hundred percent. It literally looked like, they could not hold on to the ball. The ball just kept flying out of their hands. Like McCuller was rough on that. I mean, you can't, you can't have your starters turning the ball over that much. Uh, and, and just, you know, the, it looked like they had never practiced against the zone before UCF zone and their length just really bothered them. So I think, yeah, that, that's a very clear style of a team that uh, is going to ha- give Kansas problems. And I think, you know, if it, you don't want to take losses, you, in the conference, you, you know, I think Kansas's goal right now still is to win at home all or maybe all but one and, you know, only drop maybe four on the road or something like that. And so I think that's still doable. And it, it did seem like, as we'll get to at the Oklahoma game, like the wake-up call worked because a lot of the issues that we saw against UCF were much improved against the Sooners. And I know it's a different kind of defense and a different kind of team, but also like Oklahoma – is still, you know, capable. That's still a top twenty-one defense, uh, and they still are decent at turning teams over and whatnot. So I think, uh, you know, it's not like you're playing 
and and it's also just a top ten team. It's not like you're going from UCF to you know Eastern Illinois or something. I don't know. But so I think uh, I, I think we saw that the wake up call worked in a lot of ways. Now the question is, can you keep it going? Yeah, and you want to talk about silver linings? Like I think it was a huge silver lining that that is probably the most the the bloodiest blood week of all that we've ever seen in college basketball in a long time. Um, of the top first time since I think ninety two that eight. Right. Eight, eight, of the top, the road. Right. Yeah. eight of the top 10 teams in college basketball in, in the AP poll went on the road and lost to an unranked team this week. So while you could potentially make the argument that Kansas has lost UCF is the worst of the bunch, um, it kind of gets lost, I think, in the shuffle of a lot of the other ones. And, you know, I mean, you can look at UCF. You can look at what they bring. And honestly, I think the only reason that the UCF loss is considered as bad as it is because that's the name on the jersey is UCF. Like, if it had been, you know, if it had been going on the road to, like, an Oklahoma State, if it had been going on the road to, you know, a team, you know, a team like Iowa State or something like that, like, those would not have been considered bad losses at all. Um, now, granted, I do think that Iowa State's better than, than UCF this year, but, um, you know, I think they're in they're in a similar sort of boat where their offense is, or I should say, their, their defense is significantly ahead of their offense in terms of the ability to, to um, compete at the top of the Big 12, but... I don't think that anybody is going to hold it against Kansas come at the end of the year. Like this is going to be a, oh my gosh, you know we're we're fine. Like at the end of the, it's a it was a momentary blip that most people aren't really going to care about. Um, like the only way ask that, Houston how it's going on the road right now. Oh yeah, well. yeah, like yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, and and I I saw a lot of Houston fans that were upset about you know Kansas fans and well, I mean everybody basically saying you know welcome to the Big Twelve. It's like, yeah, I mean that's a factual statement, right? Like. Yes, you could say that Houston probably wasn't prepared or isn't prepared to face as many tough teams on the road back-to-back-to-back as they have been, but that's true of anybody coming up to a conference like the Big 12. I mean, that's going to be true for, like, Colorado coming in next year, right? Like, Yeah, it wasn't a shot at Houston. It was a shot at media members and committee members who would validate um, beating bad teams in an easier schedule versus quality wins. Like it's, so like it, it's still people bitter about the, the seeding last year and Houston getting a higher seed, even though, you know, like basically, yeah, it was not a Houston thing. It's no one has, I don't think anyone in Lawrence really thinks that much about Houston, like for better or worse. It's, it's a year. Right? It'd be, you insert any mid-major, like it was, this was the Wichita state thing before this. This was in Gonzaga's life for, you know, if, if Gonzaga joined the PAC 12 three years ago, Although Pac-12 is is just absolutely brutal, so maybe that's a they joined the Big Ten in basketball. Maybe let's say um, like this same thing would have happened because yeah, you're just you're not prepared for this many fights in a row. It's one thing to have a big game every two weeks and then having you know a, a team ranked in the two hundreds and Ken Palm in between, but to do this and have a rock fight every single time, you're you're gonna get God, and that's just that's kind of life at a power conference. Yeah, I mean, that's really just the way it is. Like, Kansas, or, you know, the Big 12 has four teams that are ranked 100, 100 or higher, um, with UCF being the lowest at Ken Palm at 189. Um, but they have nobody, you know, in the high 200s, which you can't say that about any, about any of the other leagues. Um, it's just top to bottom. They have a ridiculous schedule. Uh, it was, you know, tweeted out the, um, I forget which ESPN uh personality actually tweeted it out but hey guess what of the top or of the 16 teams like the 16 hardest remaining schedules for the rest of the year in college basketball how many do you want to guess are in the big 12 uh 14 
Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, the only other ones are there's Michigan, and then I believe it was Indiana. Like there's two Big Ten teams essentially. Wow. Uh, but yeah. like Michigan's at like number nine, I believe, and then Indiana, I think, is at fifteen. Um, so yeah, top sixteen, all the Big Twelve schools are in there. It's just it's it's such a gauntlet. It's so ridiculous. It is going to be. It's going to be a rock fight, and like you said, um, you know, like I wouldn't be shocked if the winner of the conference has six losses in conference. That's how brutal this is. Um, and actually, I mean, you look right now. Baylor is projected to be twelve and six in the conference with their three and zero start and winning the conference. Don't get me started on Ken Palm's Big Twelve pres- no, projections. No, that's have you fine. Seen- but I do believe. Well, ESPN's projection because in that same graphic they had a projection saying that Houston had a seventy three point nine percent chance of winning the conference. So um, projections well, and, and, don't really know what to do with these teams because right. of how strong all of them are. And you know, normally you can you can take a conference race down to, you know, one or two key games, right? If for, for most of these conferences in the big 12, you could have a two game stretch against two of the worst teams in the conference that could completely decide who's going to win this conference and by how many games um, it's, it's impossible. I think to take a model with any kind of accuracy and use it to, to think about, or to, you know, to say who's going to win the conference. Cause it's just, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Especially this early when you have like, take, you know, Texas Tech, no no disrespect to Texas Tech. The first three games are Texas, Oklahoma State, and K-State. We don't really know what to do with them. We're going to find out pretty soon. Like right now, Ken Baum has Texas Tech ahead of Kansas by a game finishing the year, which I think they have Kansas tied for seventh at 10 and 8, which I would be shocked if that happens. But but you, you'll you see like the – you want like the reality – Oh, and I'm sorry. Reality... I'm sorry. I, I am looking actually here. I was looking. I forgot that this is sorted by current conference record. So, yeah, Houston is also projected to win at Ken Palm at 13-5. and yeah. Five. But, yeah, it's but, ridiculous. Yeah. Texas Tech, though, the next – the next here's just basically through the first week in February. Uh, at Houston, home to BYU, at Oklahoma, at TCU, home to Cincinnati, at Baylor. You're – you are lucky to go 500 in that schedule. That is absolutely brutal. And so, you know, like the, I think that we're going to see some wild adjustments from the first three games to even the, you know, the beginning of February and then the beginning of March. It's going to look wildly different. Uh, and again, it's one of those things, who can who can withstand these losses and you know not let it become two, three, and especially when you have to go on the road because they can compile pretty quickly. And there's just you look at any team in the Big Twelve. There's a two-week stretch where it's just like, wow, I, we play four teams in the top 20 in Kinpom, or we pay, you know, we play, um, we're going to play, you know, three ranked teams in, in four games or whatever. Like those, just how, how you can do in those stretches will depend on how high you finish on there. But yeah, I do, I do agree with Kinpom that I think five wins probably or five losses, excuse me, probably wins it. Maybe four. I just don't see. <laughs> I, I would be shocked if Kansas finished that ten and eight, especially after what we saw on Saturday, where they completely fixed a lot of the issues and had one of their most complete best performances ever, which in part was due to Johnny Furphy getting into the starting lineup. And then I was still happy to see a Marco Jackson play well and better than he has of late coming off the bench, maybe with some of that pressure getting taken off of him. So I think maybe Kansas has found its starting lineup, which again, as we look at this going forward, sure as heck helps things um especially when you have a part of the schedule over the next week or two that is favorable to get some wins if you can be playing well yeah i mean just 
final final point about that schedule that you're talking about, like Texas Tech, those next six games, if you look at the the win expectancies over on Ken Palm, they're only expected to win just a little over two of those. So yeah, I mean I think you're right. Like this is the way that the way that Ken Palm gets their projected records is basically just adding up all the percentage all the win percentages. Um, you know, and, and which I understand, like that's what you want to do in a model sense, but I do think that there's definitely some uh some some room for interpretation, right, of, you know, how how accurate is that likely to be? I do think that the unbalanced schedule does a lot of this as well. Makes it difficult, um, or a lot more difficult, I think, than it has been in the past to really predict because it's not only going to be, like, the timing of when do you hit teams, but now it's which teams do you actually get to play and where do you get to play them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into this Oklahoma game because, like you said, Lots of changes to the lineups, lots of changes to the way that Kansas played. And, man, what a game that was. Kansas, uh, you know, going into the half, only up by a single point, 38-37. Um, and, you know, turning it on, though, in that second half and really kind of doing what the, whatever it was that they wanted to do at that point uh, to pull away in this game. I, I want to ask you, though, because I saw two different players, I thought, that had a ton of energy in that first half that really kind of set the tone for everything. Um, in Johnny Furphy and KJ Adams, which one of those do you think had the biggest impact on the way that Kansas played the rest of the game? I think um, I think it was probably Adams, but I don't think I think that Furphy it, the the box score is not going to reflect his efforts and his impact on the game because he's one of those guys who just he's all over. He's he's getting up to speed, like he's playing at that speed. He's He's making the right decision a lot of the time. Um, but Adams was just a complete beast. And this kind of, I think, the other reason I would slightly go to Adams is because um, we said this. Uh, I was you know, driving into the game, listening to, to the pregame show, and Curtis Townsend was on the radio and saying that the, the emphasis for Kansas early is just to get inside, like pound the paint, get to the post, like go to work. And if you look at it, they, they got out to a 12-4 to lead, uh, with eight of those points coming in the paint. And then the other four points were two KJ Adams free throws and a KJ Adams jumper. And he was just, again, a beast everywhere, crashing the boards. He and Dickinson, uh, kind of, kind of traded off times there. If you gave, just, if, if the game ended at halftime, KJ Adams is your MVP. He struggled a bit in the second half. Um, but still, I do think so. From just a pure production, I still think I have to give it to Adams, but I will say that Furphy, Murphy's role in the starting lineup, like it feels like he just knows how to play with the other four guys out there really well and fits in so seamlessly, like a puzzle piece that was missing. And again, he he makes good passes. He he stands in the right spot. Obviously, we know that he can he can shoot the three, but also just kind of getting to the rim. I they still the refs, man, they love to call fouls on him that that I don't know if other players are getting. Maybe it's just a freshman thing. Yeah, I don't know if but you I saw think... my tweet in the middle of that. It's like the refs must have all gotten together at some point, had a summit that decided that Johnny Furphy can't play defense without fouling because you look yeah, at Yeah, like I don't know if we need fouls. to get – can we get can we get an Australian ambassador on the call to figure out, yeah, like, have a, that. a that sync with the big deal? Because, yeah, I, I just think that was no fault of his. But, yes, he – I think – him in the starting lineup again, just the way he fits works so well. And then I, I like that. I think, I think that took a little bit of pressure off of El Marco Jackson because, you know, Jackson didn't commit a turnover in this game. There's only two. It was this new new program record 
but only two turnovers in the game for Kansas after 18 against UCF. Uh, we talked about this in the preview, like Oklahoma had had only two games this year where it had less than 10 turnovers. Kansas had only had three. The lowest in the season before this point was seven against Kansas City. And then you ended with only two turnovers and Oklahoma had 11. Like that was a huge difference. It's amazing how even this was Kansas's worst three-point shooting game of the year from a percentage standpoint. They only shot 20%. And yet you score almost 80 points and you score 1.16 points per possession. And the reason you do that is because you're not turning the ball over. You have more chances. And they were pounding it inside. Dickinson was just going to work, uh, you know, using over both shoulders. I, I, I liked uh, McCullough's aggressiveness in the second half getting to the line because he still didn't – I don't know if we've – I think this is a little bit of a maybe a midseason slump for him. He hasn't had the best couple of games, especially shooting the ball. Um, Kevin hasn't. Like he's – his numbers look better because he's been getting to the line that much. But, yeah, I think uh, – I well, think I, I think some of that's misleading, right? Because he's been getting the line so much, and there's been so many times where he drives in and gets absolutely hammered um, on a play that probably would have been a made layup, right? So, like, if instead of those ten, you I know, mean, yeah, I was thinking more outside shooting has been oh, yeah, a yeah, slump, and, yeah, and, and even the the turnovers and everything. Like, he's he just hasn't looked himself, but he you give him credit because he is doing such a good job attacking the basket and getting to the line that he's a huge asset there. And I'm saying, like, I think the outside shots and like him just like, you know, the, some of those, um, taking guys off the dribble one on one turnaround jumpers like that were falling in November and December just aren't there right now. And so I think it's one of those things where he's going to get back to, he's going to have a game here oh, coming yeah, up, yeah. I think, where, where that all clicks again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I'm worried about any kind of long term prospect for any of the top four guys. Uh, Dwan Harris getting a three in this game. Um, you know, I was really hoping that he would get those final three points we needed to get to 10 because I love that stat about, Kansas being undefeated when he scores 10 and uh and Bill Self is coaching but uh no I mean he had eight assists uh it was just a really clean game I think for a lot of the Jayhawks uh you know it was, it was funny because we actually asked Hunter Dickinson in the in the press in the press conference at the end you know like what are your thoughts about Kansas only having two turnovers um and he was like yeah makes me upset that I was one of them um like the fact that this team is really you know that bought in on trying to eliminate turnovers and holding themselves accountable and responsible for what's going on um, is great to see, but I also think that like you look at what Dewan Harris. I'm sorry, you look at uh, you know you you talked about KJ Adams kind of falling off a little bit in the second half. I don't even necessarily think it was him falling off. I think it was just that you know he was the guy that was open. He was the guy that was making shots in that first half. I think much like we've talked about you know with like Hunter Dickinson against Missouri or Hunter Dickinson against some of these other teams where teams will shut Hunter Dickinson down in the first half and he comes on in the second half. It was fairly similar, I think, in this one in that. You know, Oklahoma made a concerted effort to really kind of slow down Kevin McCuller and Hunter Dickinson in that first half. Furphy provided a spark. KJ Adams provided a spark. And then in the second half, those two took over um, and did, you know, I mean, there's a reason that they are the two best players on the team. They lead the conference in scoring. They're one, two in, in the conference in scoring right now, um, which is absolutely ridiculous. You know, Kansas has the, the, the top two leading scorers in the conference. They have the top assist guy and they have the top rebound guy. Um, just ridiculous how you know how great they have it uh, in terms of the players that they have so uh, i do and that was the best defensive performance for dickinson too like five blocks tied a career high was the best of kansas and even just his presence in the paint uh like yeah he, wasn't he that wasn't, long ago that he wasn't happy about that one other he's like he's like i think they missed a few of them because it felt like i had a whole lot more 
Um, right, but but I just I, that was good to see after even like it wasn't that long ago that Yale's seven footer was you know putting him in the spin cycle, taking him off the dribble, and they had to put KJ Adams on him. So like, I think this was a little bit of a, <clears throat> and especially the way you know he saw that UCF block party on on uh, on Wednesday night as well, and so I think that was as good. You know, we know that Hunter Dickinson can score, and we know he can rebound. Seeing him kind of protect the paint like that, which again. His blocks and then the the ability to either keep them in play and go or the steals then from it, like Kansas had so many transition points that either led to drives, alley oops, a furphy three. Like that was that's just an added component that um, I don't expect him to have five blocks a game every single night. But it's good to know that he's still he's making his presence felt down there like he hasn't really done yet this year. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm going to circle back to the initial question I had for you because I do think that Johnny Furphy was a much bigger impact um, than a lot of people probably think. Like, you look at his box score; he only, you know, he only played 19 minutes. He only had seven points. Um, you know, two offensive rebounds, a defensive rebound, and then a, and then two steals. Like, it's not a stat line that really jumps out to you, but you look at what he did. Um, you know, those two offensive rebounds came very early in the game and they really extended possessions for Kansas that allowed them to get off to the fast start that we that we knew that they could and that we were kind of hoping that they'd be able to do. Um, so that was gigantic for them to have Furphy with that kind of energy. And, you know, I, I think I think it was striking just how much different the vibe felt. Sure, I you know, some of that was them fired up after losing to UCF. Some of that was them being back in the field house and feeling, you know, kind of juiced up because the crowd was there and let me tell you, with a seventeen, a negative seventeen degree wind chill, uh, when you're coming into the stadium, it is awfully cold and not fun. Um, and so when you get in the building, like I was sweating with how hot it was um, in that men's game, um, but it was great to be able to you know be in there instead of the cold. And uh, tons of Kansas fans that were just absolutely going crazy there definitely helped. But Furphy brings a kind of energy that we have not seen this team have early, and that set the tone. Uh, and even when Oklahoma came back, like. The fact that Furphy was in there and, you know, he sat a little bit because he got two quick fouls uh, in the first half. Um, you know, I, I do think that there was some there was some uh, some issues there as he picked up the fouls. He had to, like, kind of dial back a little bit on his on his defense, which made it a little, you know, o- Oklahoma made a comeback between his first and second fouls because I think he was just a little bit more tentative. But you look at the second half when he came back out and could play free again, you know, and then Bill Self left him in after he got that third foul pretty quickly. Um there was one particular play where Hunter Dickinson came down with a rebound and it doesn't go on Johnny Furphy's stats, but the only reason Dickinson was even able to get to that was because Johnny Furphy got in the way of the guy, the Oklahoma player that was streaking in and was going to go ahead and dunk it back in. So, um, you know, you saw very sound defense from Furphy, which I think has been kind of the, the knock on him, right? Why he hasn't gotten more minutes was because he wasn't as good of a defender as some of the other guys that could be in there, including a Marco Jackson. Jackson struggling with a shot. Um, you know, he actually had his first his first points of 2024. I'm sorry, his first field goal of 2024 in this game, um, which is kind of crazy to think about, given you know what he was recruited as as a as an outside shooter, um, well, and, and a slasher, and pretty much like he's he's a scorer. But I, I do think that it it set the tone with Furphy coming in. It's really allowing Kansas to play a little bit freer. I really hope that he keeps that starting spot at least for a while. Um, I wouldn't be you know I wouldn't be upset if Marco Jackson got it back. But, um, you know, I think Furphy is kind of that glue guy, that energy guy that you really expect to be able to pull everything together. Well, and I was trying to find this because um, I knew I'd seen it midweek. But um, so 
Evan Maya, you know, who does a tremendous job with um, with analytics here. This is from January 9th, but it's the top 25 five-man lineups in college basketball. And number uh, five on that list is the lineup of Harris, McCuller, Furphy, Adams, and Dickinson. And that's ahead of uh, UConn's lineup of, of Castle, Johnson, Car- Caravan, Newton, Spencer. It's ahead of Houston's best lineup. Um, so I, you know, I think it's, yeah, he, there's a, um, this team just is all around just again, cause I think it's, yeah, you can't look at the box score to, to see Johnny Furphy's worth here. And I think he's, he's starting to get more confident. I know Bill Self keeps telling him to shoot the ball and be more aggressive. And you saw some of that a little bit. Um, the foul situation has got to work, but I think we found that like this is Kansas's best five here and if you can have El Marco Jackson coming off the bench where you know he can do like he did um I think Saturday was probably about what you exactly what you want from El Marco Jackson he drove to the paint and drew fouls he knocked down a nice jumper he didn't turn the ball over got a rebound like play good perimeter defense and and for 20 minutes a game and that'll be great but I think we've seen like it, and the numbers are backing it up here like the, the best five that Kansas can put on the floor right now includes Johnny Furphy in the lineup. So I would imagine that going down to Stillwater this week, that looks the same. Um, and hopefully that also, you know, that helps El Marco a little bit as a freshman also trying to get his bearings, like maybe take some pressure off. Maybe he comes, you know, he motivates him to play even better and kind of get things under control. And then you have a true battle of like okay who's starting this one and or you know if, if you could have a six-man rotation basically where it's like hey it doesn't really matter who's the starter like they're all going to play like i think him and furphy are going to play about equal minutes anyway um but yeah i think this is you're right furphy and hopefully this adds to his confidence level as well but i think we found that like that's that's the piece right now that's that five man that gives kansas the best chance to win yeah, for sure. All right, I was going to say let's go ahead and take a look uh, moving ahead, but I don't even think that Oklahoma State or West Virginia have, like, a, a unit like UCF did, right, like, um, that is worth talking about at this point. They're both struggling mightily. They had, um, you know, Oklahoma State getting just absolutely demolished by Iowa State, uh, you know, on the road, and, and sure, Kansas goes down to Stillwater. It's always an interesting place for them to play down there, um, but – I just looking at yeah. what Oklahoma State has, I'm not really sure that there's anything that's even worth talking about there. And of course, West Virginia, sure they had the huge upset win over Texas, but I think you and I have talked about how we think Texas is suspect anyway. Um, yep. And they should not be that bad for how much talent is on that roster. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So I yeah, think that's going to Oklahoma go ahead State. And- the only thing I would say is that they they shoot a lot of threes, and when you're in Stillwater with a team that shoots a lot of threes, we've seen this too many times where people go nuts. But the good thing is, like, if you think Oklahoma, if you think Kansas has turnover struggles go ahead and take a peek at um at the cowboys because yeah, man, they turn it over on 20 uh, percent of their possessions one out of every five possessions is a turnover for oklahoma state it's ridiculous so against uh, uh they they had against tulsa i was looking at this earlier on december 10th they had take a guess of what their highest turnover just if you didn't look like take a guess wild guess most turnovers on the season what do you think that number is? And I'll tell you, it was against Tulsa on December 10th. Uh, 27. Yeah, 27. Oh, really? I knew I figured it was like mid-high 20s. I was just like 27. I mean, yeah, it helps yeah. that I, I co-host a podcast on uh, you know, sure. yeah. the 10-12 the with a Oklahoma State guy, and he's very upset. But no, we never actually talked about that number. I literally just threw a number out there. That's awesome. 
They had another 22 turnover game against South Carolina State. They turned it over 19 times against Iowa State. They turned it 19 times against St. Bonaventure, 20 times, or sorry, that was like, uh, no, that was uh, 14 times against St. Bonaventure. Like, yeah, if Kansas can, unless, unless Oklahoma goes 11 of 28 from three and Kansas can't make a shot and they, and Kansas turns over again, like Oklahoma State is going to give them chances and so that yeah that's one where it's just like that was the only thing i was going to call about oklahoma is like my goodness if you thought and kansas's turnover problems have been bad this year um that's that's bad 27 in a game against uh tulsa is is rough right like literally the only thing that they do somewhat well is shoot the ball at a decent clip it's not even a great clip but at a decent clip but they have to actually be able to shoot the ball first in order for that to actually matter um yeah so I, I do think it's going to be uh, an easier week for the Jayhawks, but they obviously, as we've seen, you cannot take anything lightly in the Big 12. So it'll be a much needed, I think, um, simpler task for Kansas going on the road twice. And, um, you know, Bill, Bill Self talked about how difficult it is to go on the road for a two-game stretch anyway in the Big 12. I, I will say I do think that the women have a much more difficult week up ahead than the men do, but... I guess we'll see. Um, but that is going to go ahead and do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcasting. Subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments. would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, Contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are, of course, part of the 1012 Podcast Network over on Sports Social, which is the biggest European sports podcast network that there is. Glad to be partnered with them. But you can find all the great shows for all the teams that we cover here in the Big 12 over on the 1012 Network uh, website, 1012network.com. Links to all of those shows. Uh, make sure you guys visit our sponsors, Charlie Hustle, Price Picks. Great stuff over there. Use promo codes to get some great deals with them. But uh, that is going to go ahead and do it for us. Oh, I'm sorry. No, also make sure you guys can support the network as well by going over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash 1012network. That's T-E-N-1-2 network. Get, uh, you know, you can support for just five bucks a month. You can support any of the shows here on the network. But that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network.